Hello and welcome once again to Invisible Chains. For those of you who have not heard my podcast or seen my video cast, I started this a couple of years ago. Actually, I think the year was 2018. And the precipice behind doing this podcast was that my daughter was arrested and put in prison for 23 years which was, needless to say, an injustice. And I started this podcast to get the word out about what had been done to her. But it quickly turned into more of me interviewing other mothers and inmates inside prison who believed that they were wrongfully convicted. There were also ones that actually knew they belonged in prison and I interviewed them too. But over about a year's span of doing the podcast, I was so heartsick from all the sad stories that I had to give it up. But I'm stronger now. It's five years later and things are changing in our world. Things are becoming more open. People are waking up to the truth. And I want to bring that truth back to you. So tonight, I am just going to introduce myself once again and give you a little rundown on my daughter's story. And if you would like to be on my show, all you have to do is send me an email or look me up on Messenger and send me a message but on Facebook I am known as Digital Gal 2 so you can look me up under Digital Gal 2 on Facebook and send me a message or you can send me an email at digitalgal2 the number 2 at gmail.com and believe me I will answer your text or your emails. I never miss a one. But let's begin up my daughter's story. On May 2nd, 2018, my daughter was pulled over, subsequently arrested, jailed, tried, sentenced, and sent to prison for 23 years. There were so many injustices done during her three-day trial that I can't mention them all because it would take me forever. But I have been fighting her conviction since the day that she was convicted. They convicted her of dealing in methamphetamines, possession of methamphetamines, um, obstruction of justice, and maintaining a common nuisance. We did take it to direct appeal and she got a year and a half time taken off her sentence to bring it down to 21 and a half years, they gave her back the maintaining a common nuisance because this was my daughter's first offense and they could not prove that she had been manufacturing methamphetamines or selling methamphetamines from my car prior to this event. But on that day, my daughter was asked to give a ride to two men 
one was from Louisville and one was from local and she knew both of the men don't get me wrong my daughter was a drug addict but she was also a working addict she was a nurse a working nurse and there's many reasons that she started to take drugs but it was to hide pain a few years before she became addicted she lost her oldest daughter in a custody battle with her ex-husband who was very wealthy and that's a, another story or another a story for another day because there was corruption there also but the two men in the car my daughter knew that they she was taking them to do a, a buy I think it's called she was taking them to sell some methamphetamines to a man at a local industrial plant and I think it was a half a gram of methamphetamines but my daughter did not know that the drug dealer the one who supplied her with her methamphetamines had 16 grams of meth on him in his backpack when she turned onto the state highway, two understate, uh, undercover pol police officers um, say they saw her cross the center line, just barely, but just enough for them to be able to pull her over. But since they were undercover and in plain clothes, they could not stop her. They therefore called for the nearest unit, which just so happened to be the canine unit. And my daughter was pulled over at, at the entrance of this local company and it wasn't only one cop for a normal routine traffic stop and that's what they called it a routine traffic stop the police it was eight police officers that pulled my daughter over one lined up right after the other a little excessive for a routine traffic stop but as soon as the officers two officers approached her vehicle the one that approached her said Sholly please get out of your vehicle or step out of your vehicle and she said why what have I done she said I've done nothing and they said just step out of the car we're going to do a free air sniff there was no reason for this but in court these officers said that she was acting overly nervous I mean she was a drug abuser of course she was nervous you know but the Supreme Court ruled of this nation the Supreme Court of this nation ruled that nervousness or excessive nervousness does not bear much weight when it comes to conducting a free air sniff so we were banking on all the laws that pertain to my daughter's case to set her free but it didn't happen that way the two guys in the car
returned evidence against my daughter and said the drugs belonged to her. When indeed they did not. They belonged to the man in the front seat of her car that day. Let me take you back just a few hours before her traffic stop. My husband and I had decided to move in with her because we suspected that she was back on drugs. She had previously been clean for three years. So on May 2nd, my husband and I began to move our things into her home and she was all for it because I think at that point she was ready to come clean and she wanted us to move in. But from 3 o'clock in the afternoon until 6 p.m. that evening, I was with my daughter 100% of the time. She was never out of my sight. But as I went out to get the last load out of my car at 3 o'clock, there was a man sitting on her porch, and he was using her cell phone. And the reason I say it was her cell phone is because on the back of her phone, she had one of those little pop sockets on it. And that pop socket was bought by my youngest granddaughter's father while they were on vacation. And on this pop socket, it said dope. You know, and in 2018, dope meant cool. And it had Fruit Loops also on this little pop socket and that's how I knew that he was using her cell phone well from the time that I came in I asked my daughter who the man was and what he was doing using her phone and she said that is Adam's cousin from Louisville now Adam was her boyfriend at the time and she said he is using my phone because he can't get a signal on his and I said, okay, I don't like it, but okay. Well, we stay together in the kitchen, and we're unpacking my our belongings, and she's never out of my sight for three hours. And then right around 6 o'clock, I think it was like five minutes till 6, she asked me, she said, Mom, she said, I want to run out to Dad's work and tell Dad to come home for dinner because I've made a special dinner for you and Dad. She said, you've been watching me and helping me make it. She said, but you know he can't answer the phone, so I want to run out there and have him come home. And I said, well, how long will you be gone? And she said, well, you know how long it takes to get there, about 15 minutes. And I said, okay, but hurry back because I really don't know what I'm doing on this pop-up chicken. I, that, I don't know what else to call it. And she said, it'll take me no more than 15 minutes. So me and my granddaughter, we, we finished cooking the chicken and preparing the meal. And by this time, it's 7 o'clock in the evening, and she, my daughter is not home. And I just knew something bad had happened. I just knew it. Because when my daughter left home, I saw the man on the front porch get into the car with her. And I didn't trust him from the minute I saw him. I just had a strange feeling about him. And it turns out that he was an actual drug dealer from Louisville. And he was supplying my daughter with methamphetamines to let him stay with her or in her garage while he went out and distributed his meth to his 
lower dealers, um, the dealers who were also users, the ones who don't matter to the police. And, and for that, my daughter got to get high for free. She didn't have to pay money for her methamphetamines to feed her addiction. And whenever they had my daughter and the guy in the back seat exit her vehicle on that day, they put them behind her vehicle between her car and a police car. And then the police officers went around to the passenger side and told the gentleman in the front seat to step out of the vehicle. Well, unbeknownst to my daughter or to the man in the back seat, the guy in the front seat had taken out the methamphetamines, the 16 grams, out of his backpack and put it on the floorboard of my daughter's car. Well, which is actually my car. She was using it and put it between his feet and the passenger side door out of the reach of my daughter. My daughter couldn't even see it where she was sitting in the driver's seat. But when he opened the door, the officers saw the drugs sitting on the floor and they started this uproar. There's drugs in the car, there's drugs in the car. Well, needless to say, and to make a long story short, they arrested all three for the same charges. My daughter, first time in, in jail and didn't know how things worked. She kept her mouth shut. She didn't want to be considered a stoolie or someone who uh, ran other people out. And she thought that the two men in the car were the same way. Well, you don't think that way when you're in trouble. You have to look at the truth and tell the truth. But she didn't know that she had the right to send a note to the police officers and ask to talk to them. So she kept her mouth shut. Well, the very next day, the guy in the back seat was released with no charges except for maintaining a common nuisance. The guy in the front seat was released six months later. All the while, my, sis my daughter sits in county lockup for 18 months, awaiting trial. They did offer her a plea deal of 12 years, and my daughter told me, she said, Mom, I cannot accept a plea deal. I have two young daughters who I cannot let them think that their mother is a drug dealer when I'm not. She said, I have to fight this for my girls. If we knew now what we knew then, if we knew then what we know now, um, she would have signed her plea deal. So I'm here to warn you, if you're offered a plea deal, please take it. Don't hesitate. If you take it to trial, they heap so much upon you or upon the, the defendant that, like my daughter, she ended up with 23 years. In Indiana, 25 years is considered a life sentence, or it used to be. I don't know if it still is. So my ba daughter basically got life in prison for something she did not do. On the witness stand the days, on the three days of her trial, the man in the back seat admitted that he lied. 
he admitted that he set up the drug deal. The other gentleman, in his deposition, who did not show up for court, stated that yes, he brought the drugs into town, and then he changed his mind in his deposition, and he said no, he bought the drugs from her. But yet, all of these discrepancies and lies from both of these men still sent my daughter to prison. And she is still there today, six years, almost six years later. But we have been through her original trial, where she lost. We went through her direct appeal, where she got a year and a half back. And then I started to investigate, and I found too many discrepancies in the trial transcript. I was her only witness, and going through the transcript, my testimony was nowhere to be found. So I fought it. And by fighting that, I got my daughter a second appeal in Indiana, and that is never done. It sat in appeal for, I'm going to guess and say, six months or more before we finally got an answer. While the court upheld the conviction, they also told me that it was an invitation to reweigh the evidence. And by them saying that, I did more research and I found out what it meant. It meant that I needed to file a petition to transfer to the Supreme Court. So I did that just a few, few weeks ago actually, about three weeks ago. Well, this past Saturday, as we were pulling up to my daughter's prison, her second prison, I thought, you know, something's telling me to check my case. That's where you can go and look up their, their case files. And I went in, and there was an answer. The Supreme Court had, or it had been posted, under my daughter's case, transmitted to transfer Supreme Court. Now, I am no lawyer, never have been. I would love to be, and I think I'm smart enough to, be, to pass the bar, but you have to go to law school, and I'm too old, and I'm disabled. So I can no longer go to school, or I lose my disability. But the Supreme Court has now, from what I am told, has requested the documents pertaining to my argument in her petition to transfer, which is a good thing. Because if they read what everyone else has read, they will, they will have to overturn her conviction. There were so many things done wrong. And as my podcast continues to grow, I will break out some more and talk about some of the things that were done wrong in her case. But I wanted to let you know who I am. My name is Stephanie, and I am just a mom of a young woman who lost her right to freedom for something she didn't do. 
and I refuse to accept that. I think this world, the United States, is better than that. And I'm fighting for her, and I'm fighting for all those in prison who are not getting the health care that they need, who are not getting the proper food. I mean, that's another story altogether if you haven't heard about it, but I'll be enlightening you as we go along from week to week. But I do hope to have guests on my show, um, other mothers who are going through the same thing as me or who have um, mentally challenged sons or daughters behind bars that are being mistreated and not given the proper treatment. But I need to go back and finish telling you who I am. Like I said, I'm just a mom. Um, I got my master's degree when I turned 51 years old. 51. And I was the valedictorian of my class. Here I was, a 51-year-old grandma, graduating with 20, 21-year-olds, and I graduate summa cum laude, and I'm the valedictorian, and asked to give the class speech. Now, mind you, it was quite scary. This was during the time before my daughter was arrested, and they were given invitations to come to my graduation. And while I'm sitting on the dais waiting to give my speech, I look out for my family, and the only person that I see is my husband. My two daughters never showed. My granddaughters were not there. None of my family, my sisters or brothers, showed up. So it was just just my husband. And I froze. All I could think about were, were my daughters. How could they let me down on such an important day? And my husband saw me. And he knew that I was petrified again. That all I was thinking about was my daughters. He got up out of his seat of 10,000 people and began to make his way toward the dais. And when I saw him approach, I came out of my stupor and I started to speak. I didn't even remember what I said. But when I was done, I got a standing ovation. So I had to wait for a year in order to hear my speech. And when I heard my speech, it was as if someone else were speaking because I mentioned people I didn't even know that actually exist. I quoted people, famous people, that I had never heard the quotes before. So I know that God put these words into my mouth to get me through my graduation. And it was a success. And then shortly after that was when my daughter was arrested. As we were coming home from her sentencing, we were coming down a very large hill that leads to our home. And I heard the words in my ear. And then the bar slammed home. And it kept repeating in my head when the bar slammed home. And before my eyes flashed a book 
when the bar slammed home. And I, when I got home, I looked it up, and there was no such book. So I took it that God had just told me to write my daughter's story. So I did. Did I call it when the bar slammed home? No, I did not. I changed it. I think I went against God's wishes there, but I did publish it. It sold quite a few copies so far, and the second book has been re been released, but I've not launched it because of my failed first attempt at launching the first book. And that's another story that I can tell you later. But in the makings is a third book. But I'm on here to tell you and to teach you some things about the judicial system and what you can do as a parent to fight. Not to sit idly by and trust the lawyers that are given to you in the courtroom or even ones that you hire. They Lawyers don't know everything and don't let them make you think that they do because my daughter's appellate attorney didn't even, didn't even know that we could recreate my testimony from her trial. I had to look it up and find that information myself and bring it to her attention. And she said, oh, well, let's try that. And it worked. We got her the second appeal. So you have to do the work yourself. Do not trust anyone else to do it. You're the only one you can trust because you're doing the work. And if you hear something that doesn't sound right, it probably isn't. Look it up yourself. But I want you all to know that me and a group of women here from Indiana have joined together and we call ourselves the parents of incarcerated children in Indiana. And it is our intention to reform this state's prison policy on how they treat the mentally incapacitated, on how they treat all of our inmates, and to see to it that they get the proper medical care, the proper food. Like in my daughter's case, her caloric intake, because she's on a special diet, is only 390 calories a day. A, diet a dietitian told me that my daughter would not survive past 10 years only having 390 calories a day. I don't know how it is for other people that have allergies to food, but my daughter is allergic to everything that is fed to her at her prison, at both prisons. And they've had her on steroids for over five years. Long-time steroid use can destroy you, can destroy your body and your organs. And my daughter has took it upon herself to stop taking the steroids and just live with the, the allergy. Um, she tries not to eat from their stores. She tries to wait until we send her property boxes and food boxes, food and hygiene. And those can only happen once every three months. 
so she makes it last but she looks healthy she's acting better she has more energy because the food allergy that she has zapped her of everything of her strength the steroids zapped her of her vitamin D and she is slowly healing herself from within all on her own without anyone's help and I praise God for that but it's time that she come home she didn't do anything wrong other than to give two men a ride and she served almost six years that's enough time for for the role that she played that day it's actually too much time and uh, it's my prayer my fervent prayer that God is with the justices at the Supreme Court and that they see what we have all seen here that my daughter does not belong in prison so that's about it for tonight folks I want to welcome you back to Invisible Chains and it will remain Invisible Chains because all of us are linked to something that we cannot see. I am linked to my daughter by an invisible chain because what she goes through, I go through. And that's why this is called Invisible Chains. This is Stephanie signing off for the first time in a long time. And I will see you next week or maybe even tomorrow with a new episode. Thank you for listening and tuning in. And may God bless you and keep you safe. Have a good evening.